Amen. Good morning, church. What a day it is. It's beautiful out there. We are in Colossians chapter 3, if you turn there. Colossians chapter 3. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. The ushers will get you one. Anyone need one? Just keep your hand up. Colossians chapter 3. Well, you guys got blessed the last couple of weeks with a couple of great speakers. That was awesome. Great to see uh, Pastor Jacob Beelan and Pastor Jason, our old assistant pastor who went to Germany to start missions, do mission work out there, and so we keep them in prayer. It's a real battle over there in Germany. It's, uh, people just don't feel like they need Jesus, so it's a lot tougher than you think, and so we want to keep them in prayer. Um, we were blessed by them being here, and it's good to see them, and, and I hope that... Uh, God sends them back, but <laughs> oh, I love those guys. Keep them in prayer. So Colossians chapter 3. Now we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 17 today. And uh, we're going to start out by reading, let's just read verses 1 through 4. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Paul saying, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above and not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Father, we thank You for the precious promises, Lord God. Holy Spirit, fill us afresh right now and give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying as we look at some uncomfortable passages in the Bible that deal directly with us in our hearts. And so, Lord, give us hearts to receive admonishment, correction. Lord God, allow us to grow in the grace and knowledge of You. Bless this time. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I entitled this message, Put Off and Put On. Put off and put on. We're going to cover some stuff that we're going to look at some sin today. Sin that's in our own lives personally. Sin that we do against others. Uh, even as Christians, you know, we're still sinners, right? That, amen? amen? Right, okay. So we're a work in progress. We're not what we used to be, thank God. We're growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior, but we still screw up. We still make mistakes. And so we should never be comfortable just settling with, well, that's just the way I am. No, God's given you the power. He has broken the power of sin in your life. He has given you the power to live a Christ-like life that you no longer have to be a slave to sin. And so rather than just saying, well, that's just the way I am, say, no, I need to change. And so we're going to look at some stuff he's going to tell us to put off. Now, the problem whenever we take something out of our life, if we don't replace it with something good, we will eventually replace it with something bad. So that's why I love the U-Turn for Christ ministry that's, that's part of this church and Pastor Keone and what Gene do. Is, is it's focused on getting men and women off of drugs and alcohol and whatever else. But we are smart enough as Christians to know if we don't replace that hole, when we take something out of our lives, if we don't put something good in there, we know that when things get bad, we'll go right back to the drugs and alcohol. So what I love about U-Turn for Christ is that they, they you know, help you to get off the drugs and alcohol, but they replace it with Jesus Christ. 
the Word of God. Greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. And if you don't replace things like that, addictions with Jesus, then when you have a bad day, you're going to go right back to your addictions. Because you had a bad day. And it's only by the power of God that you can have a bad day and say, you know what, I'm not going back there because that wasn't good for my life. So Jesus is important. Now, we just read that we are to keep our eyes above on the things above. I like what one pastor I remember once hearing. He says, keep your eyes six feet and higher. Keep just, you know, keep looking up. Keep your eyes up there. Keep your eyes on heaven. If you keep your eyes on heaven, guess what? You're not going to be frazzled, frazzled here on the earth. You know, when you see, when you, when you look at people with the things that have been going on the last couple of years, you see people just panicking, just just fearful and you're here with peace in your heart because why because you know jesus is coming soon you know that you're a child of god you know that you're going to heaven you know that he's able to keep that which you've committed unto him until that day you know that you're saved by faith and faith alone and not by your works he did it all at the cross and he offered you a gift you opened that gift you became born again so he says hey you are not of this world you're in this world but you're not of this world And so I live my life for my King, keeping my eyes on things above, things in the heaven. And when I do that, I'm going to walk good. Even when the bombs are blowing off all around me, I know He's got my hand. He'll never leave me nor forsake me. That's the good news. Keep your eyes above. See, it's when we take our eyes off Jesus is when we really crumble and collapse. When you're going through something and now all of a sudden your storm is so big that you, you are panicking, you are, you are having anxiety. And why? Because you got your eyes off Jesus. Because you made your storm so big you couldn't see your God. You need to turn that thing around and make your God so big you can't see your storm. Don't cry out to God how big your storm is. Cry out to your storm how big your God is. Keep your eyes on heaven. You remember Peter? Peter got out of the boat and walked on water, didn't he? But see, when he took his eyes off Jesus and put them on the world, what happened? He sank. Now, a lot of people, they heckle Peter because just the way he acted and everything. But you know what? i got to commend him. He was the only one that got out of the boat. So many Christians today won't get out of the boat and walk by faith. God wants to use you, but you're not usable because you're, you're afraid. And we need to understand that, you know, God has broken the power of sin in our lives. He, he, he has given you the Holy Spirit. You have, you have power to live a godly life. Satan cannot force you to do anything. The only weapons that Satan has in a Christian's life, we give to him through doubt and fear. That's it. He cannot do anything. He cannot force you to sin. Hello? Stop blaming him for your sin. Blame yourself. But he comes after us and he plants doubt in our minds and fear in our minds. And boy, I've seen a lot of that in the last two years. People living in doubt and fear. People being deceived by the enemy and buying into it. Only doubt and fear comes into your, your heart when you get your eyes off Jesus. 
Because I'll tell you what, when all hell breaks loose, I can just look up and say, Lord, I don't understand what's going on. I don't have any strength. I don't have any power. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. Because, why? Well, I know he's going to see me through. This is a, as bad as it gets, guys. And so he says there in chapter 3, verse 1, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then also will you appear with Him in glory. That's good news. See, now here's what's happening with Paul. Paul Paul was laying down sound doctrine in the first couple of chapters because uh, of the Gnostics that crept into the Colossians church and the Judaizers, the legalists, and the Eastern mysticism. And it was corrupting. Whenever there's a, a good work of God, the enemy wants to come in and corrupt. And so they were saying, like, Jesus couldn't have been God because, you know, the Gnostics said that matter was evil and the Spirit is good. And so the, the fact that they were saying Jesus was fully man, fully God, born of a virgin, came down to die for our sins, they said, well, He couldn't be the Messiah because flesh is evil and the Spirit's good, so He can't be the Messiah. The other Gnostics were saying, well, He, he was the Messiah, but He wasn't really fully man. He was just a spirit. When He walked on the beach, there wouldn't be any footprints. So Paul lays down sound doctrine saying that Jesus is God. He is the image of the invisible God. He is made in God's image. He, his, he wasn't made in, in a sense. When he calls him firstborn from all creation, the mistake that people think is that he was made. He was created. He was not made. He was not created. Firstborn in the Hebrew and in the Greek, when it's mentioned, refers to priority and authority. That's what it means. Okay? God called Israel His firstborn. Now, there was people in the area of Israel before Israel. And there was people before Israel. But what is He saying? He's saying that Israel was His priority. They were of all authority. Why? Because they had the commandments of God. They had the oracles of God. They were to set the standard for the world. So when it says Jesus was firstborn, the cults will say, see, He was created. That's not what it's saying. We've got to stop thinking numerically, chronologically. It means that He was priority, all authority. And then he settled it when we were looking into Colossians and studying that part where it says he was made in the image, he made in the image of the invisible God. It doesn't mean that he was made. He came in the image of the invisible God. He is the creator of all things. All things were made by him and for him. And to settle the matter of this firstborn thing, it says that he was before all things. What does that mean? He's preexistent. He's God. Jesus, the Father, the Spirit are one. And so he tells us to seek the things that are above. That's hard to do sometimes, isn't it? When you're losing your job or you can't pay your mortgage or your family's falling apart or you've got a child on drugs or just a wayward prodigal. 
And sometimes, next thing you know, we're dealing with all our problems. The Bible says in Matthew, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. There's your problem. Why do I say that's a problem? Because we do it backwards. We seek all these things, and then we've got some free time, we throw it to Jesus. And many of us have broken our communication with God. We, we don't find it important to talk to God unless we have a problem. Don't you talk to God a lot more when you have problems than when everything's going good? So how about we turn that around? How about you just wake up in the morning and just praise God you woke up? And you got two feet and two hands, you'll be able to get out of bed and do a little ministry for Him. Praise the Lord. And then you know what? When we're seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, guess what? He also lets us surf. Or tennis or fishing. You know, whatever it is. See, the thing is, we, He knows what we want. You don't even have to ask. He knows before we even ask. So if you get your eyes off of you when you pray and get your eyes on heavenly things, you're going to do well. Lord, you know what I want. I'm not even going to talk about it. I just want to do your will. I want to bless people. I want to be other-centered, not self-centered. Lord, I want to complete the mission you have for me. Man, that's something he can work with. You just got to be available. Keep your eyes above. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. <laughs> Are you looking forward to that day? Hello, I'm, I'm talking new body here. Now you, you, you under 30 people, you know, that doesn't phase you, but my age, that phases me. New body, no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears, no more being tired. Just fresh, ready to go, feeling great. You take, listen, you take the best day that you've ever felt in your life, physically, spiritually, and emotionally, and it'll be compared to a worse day in heaven. You have no idea what awaits you with this new body. I'm excited for it. See, when we're longing and looking for His return, we're going to do well. When Christ is our life, we are longing for the things of heaven. We will keep our eyes on above. Is Christ your life? Or is a person your life? Or is your children your life? Or is your job your life? Or is money your life? Boy, I'll tell you what, if, if those things are, you better replace them with Jesus. He's not going to... He's. He will not share His glory with another. And too many Christians have now replaced God making their spouse number one, then God, or their children number one, then God. You got it all backwards. He's number one all by Himself. He is not number, the number one God in the universe compared to all the false gods. He's not number one out of the top ten gods in the world. Those guys don't even compare to Him. He's on a list all by himself. They're all false gods, and then there's Jesus Christ. 
And He is number one, Lord of all, Creator of all. The only one that can give forgiveness and eternal life. Okay, so now, with that being said, we're going to get into some uncomfortable stuff. If you're visiting today, we go book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. I tell you to read ahead, so if you don't like what you read, you don't come, because I'm going to talk about it. You can't get away from it. We've got to move through the Bible. I'm going to make people upset today. You're going to get angry. You might get up and storm out. Ushers, lock the doors. I'm losing them already. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> They're just going to the restroom. They don't want to miss what I'm going to say. Um, we're going to talk about sin. Do you believe Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior? Say amen. amen. Do you believe that this is the Word of God? Say amen. amen. Okay, so you just bear witness amongst yourselves and before the Lord God Almighty that you believe that this book is the Word of God. The Word of Truth. Okay, so we're going to talk about some truths. And it's stuff that everyone... Listen, I was studying this for the last couple of weeks, and it hurt. And I thought, you know what? I can't just enjoy all this pain by myself. I need to share it with you so you can enjoy it too. Because I'll tell you what, there's some stuff here that you're like, I don't have a problem with that. But there's other stuff here that we do have problems with. And we need to deal with those problems and we need to stop making excuses why we're continuing in our sin. Why we're continuing in hatred and unforgiveness. Why we're continuing in sexual immorality. We've got to put a stop to it right now. Jesus is coming soon. Because when we live a lifestyle of sin, now we make that our God and Jesus is no longer our God and He won't stand for that. So let's jump into it. He says, verse 5, Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. So we all walked in these things. Can I get an amen? Amen. And I know you're not what you should be, but you're not what you used to be. God is molding and shaping you and growing you in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And He's transforming you from glory to glory. Sanctification is taking place in your life. We make mistakes. That's not what He's talking about. He's talking about willful lifestyles of sin and you claim to be a Christian. Other places in the Bible, He says, you fool yourself, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And it's, I'm not the judge. I could look at you and say, well, I'm not seeing the fruit, and that looks to me like you're not really saved, but really that's between you and God. I'm not the judge. He is. And he says the, his wrath will be coming down on this earth. So what does he, what does he look at? He says, he says, mortify your flesh. It means put to death your flesh. Put it to death. Listen, I'm saved. My soul's saved. This flesh is not, not redeemed yet. I, that's why there's that war going on in us. Until we get the new body. 
I'm saved, my soul saves, my flesh isn't saved yet. That's, do, you, do you agree with that? That's why the battle, because this wants stuff. This wants sin. And God says, put it to death. Now let's just make it really clear right now. There's no rehabbing the old man. Well, you know, I'm just going to rehab my... No, put it to death. Kill it. That's what the Bible says. Kill the flesh. Kill the flesh so your spirit can soar. So the Holy Spirit can rule in your life. If the Holy Spirit is ruling in your life and your eyes are set above, your flesh will have no power. No power. And so he says, put, put to death. What's he mentioned? Fornication. What's fornication? Sex outside of marriage. Marriage is between a man and a woman, period. And when you're having sex with somebody you're not married to, that's called fornication. And he puts this broad word fornication, where also will refer to adultery. He doesn't have to say adultery because fornication is having sex with someone you're not married to. He says, stop it. You've now made that your God, and God is no longer your God. He's not number one in your life. Now, I understand. Listen carefully. I, 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 I emphasize. Em, yeah. I have empathy for those who make a mistake. There's a difference between making a mistake and making it a lifestyle. You say you're a Christian, you're, you're, you're a child of God, and, and you're like, well, you know, I, I'm living in sin, and God better accept that. You're fooling yourself. You are fooling yourself. The scriptures are clear. Because now this relationship is number one in your life. Not God. He's second. So he says, put to death fornication. And then he says, uncleanness. Well, what's uncleanness? You know, sometimes I, I, uh, I counsel couples, premarital counseling. And, and the one thing I always ask them, are you guys having sex? And I always look at the girl because I can tell by the way she looks. And, and the guy will go, we're not having intercourse. Right then and there, I go, I didn't ask if you were having intercourse. I said, are you having sex? And, and sometimes they'll say this. They'll say, well, we're doing everything but intercourse. That's uncleanness. Everything but intercourse is for the marriage too. Gosh, it got real quiet in here. He then talks about passions. It's inordinate affections. It means evil passions to do things that's sexually wrong. He talks about evil concupiscence, which is evil desires. Okay, this is going to be a tough one. Evil desires are things that we create in our mind. Oh, man. Is that where the battle rages or not? I'll tell you what, I, I, from being a pastor for over 20 years, I think the toughest things that, that men and women deal with is lust. You know, and I always hear people say, oh, you know, well, guys lust much more than girls. No, they don't. Girls are just a little smarter. They're a little more subtle about it. You know, when they walk by a hot guy, they look over and they go, and, and then they kind of like glance to see if he's watching, but they're really good at it, and they're just like, I wonder if he's watching. 
to where guys just go like this. <laughs> Women lust just as bad as men, and we need to put it in check. Take your thoughts captive. Listen, the temptation is not a sin. If that image pops in your head, give it to the Lord. Because I'll tell you what, it's going to pop into your head at church, at a prayer meeting, in just the worst place possible. And you need to take your thoughts captive. And then he talks about covetousness. And you go, wait, what, what does covetousness have to do with fornication, uncleanness, passions, evil, evil desires? And then he says covetousness. Well, he's speaking in context of sexual immorality. So when, when he says covetousness, it's when you, he says it's idolatry. He says when you have to have someone else's spouse. And you're going to take them and sleep with them. He says it's idolatry. Now, covetousness is also to, you know, you, you want what someone else has. And God wants you to be content. Contentment with godliness is what? Great gain. Now, maybe you don't have everything you want, but you know what? I think everybody in this room is doing okay. And God has blessed you. And some of you, He's given you even your wants and not just what you need. But isn't it easy for us to look over at the Joneses and say, I want a house like that. Boy, I want a car like that. I want a boat. I want a wife like that. Oh, I want a husband like that. And God doesn't want us doing that. Because when He calls covetousness idolatry, whenever anything becomes more important in your life than God, that's idolatry. When we put something before Him, He calls it spiritual adultery. Because we're sinning now against the true and living God and we've made something more important in our life than Him. And I'll tell you what, it's so easy for Christians to do that with a spouse or a child or a job or money or stuff. I think we're all guilty in some area. In verse 6, he says, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. The wrath of God is coming. I believe we are in our final days right now. I don't know what you believe, but I'll tell you what, I've seen more of the Bible unfold before my eyes in the last two years than my whole life. And I think Jesus is coming soon. We need to get our lives in order. Because what's going to happen is that the Father is going to look at the Son and say, go get your bride. We're going to be taken out of this world. And then He's going to pour out His wrath for seven years on a Christ-rejecting world. His wrath upon the children of disobedience who in verse 7, He tells us, we once were. We once were. You know, because we once were, is probably, probably why we need to have a little more compassion with believers that we know are struggling and not so judgmental. Because that was once you. And boy, how we want God's grace and mercy for us, but Lord, deal with that guy. I don't have any patience for that guy. I want to see some justice. Oh, but be merciful with me, Lord. I know, I'm a work in progress. And you're doing the same thing. Sin is sin. It's, it, it's not like we can put it on levels. In God's eyes, it's all wrong. 
even when you gossip and slander and talk bad about people, that's sin. Verse 8, But now you yourselves are to put off these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in the knowledge according to the image of Him, Jesus Christ, who created Him. Whether there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. So we're in our second section. And now he starts talking about sins that we commit against others. Verses 5-7 through seven were personal sins that we do on our own to ourselves. Verses 8-11 through 11 are sins we commit against others. And he says, put these things off. Put them off. What's the first one? Anger. Ooh. Anybody been angry lately? You know, there is a righteous indignation. We talked about God pouring out His wrath on the children of disobedience. That is righteous indignation. He has been waiting thousands of years for people to come to the Lord. It comes to a point where He says, that's it, last person saved, here we go. He is so patient. Like, we're like, Lord, how can you wait any longer? Look at this world. But He wants more people saved. And until that last person that will get saved, when he comes for his church, he's waiting for that last person, and you might have that person in your life. So you better get the gospel out. If you're that last person that needs to be saved before we're taken out of here, you better give your life today so we can get out of here. You're holding us back. But we have anger, and anger is when things start stewing inside of you. Ooh, just boiling. Do you control your anger well? And then it talks about wrath. And, and when you don't get a hold of your anger, you start stewing, and next thing you know, you start boiling, and then you blow. That's wrath. You know anybody like that? That just goes from zero to 60 in a second? There's certain people in our lives we know we've got to be careful what we say because they will just blow. They're violent. They're abusive verbally. They're full of wrath. And you know, you just trigger something, man. They're going to explode on you. And God says, put away your anger. Put away your wrath. Put away your malice. What's malice? Malice is when you want something bad to happen to somebody else. Someone's wronged you. And you know the Scripture that says judgments of the Lord and you've been asking God to send you, you'll help, and He doesn't, and you're just waiting, and that person has wronged you and hurt you. And uh, you know that you shouldn't retaliate, so you don't retaliate, but malice is when you find out something bad happened to that person and you go, yes! Don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. We've all had malice against someone. I had. So have you. Somebody that's just harmed you, somebody that was horrible to you, and you're just like, Lord, you know, okay, deal with it fast, please. 
And then you hear something goes wrong in your life, and you're like, yes, finally. Or they got hurt really bad, you're like, yes, they deserve it. That's malice. You say, well, isn't that justified? They harm people, and this happens. What did Jesus say when he's being nailed to the cross? Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. If anybody had a right for malice, it was him. Amen? So you need to start drinking on the word and stop sipping from the haterade. Put off anger, put off wrath, put off malice. Put off blasphemy. What's blasphemy? It's when you slander or make mean remarks about somebody else. Oh my gosh, this is what hit me. This hit me so hard. I'm guilty. I'm guilty. And so are you. We're all guilty of this. Making mean remarks about someone. And I had to really look at myself this week and, you know, and say, you know what? Stop justifying that. Yeah, but those people really are a piece of work. Stop justifying the remarks. You can say it to the Lord, but stop saying it to others. Rather than sicking others on somebody that you don't like, sick the Lord on them. Lord, take care of them. It's your deal. It's not my deal anymore. It's up to you. Vengeance is yours. I'm going to stop flapping my jaw. I'm going to let you convict them. Filthy language. Put off filthy language. What's that? Do I need to explain it? Cursing. I am so over Christians cursing. I hate cursing. And, and every once in a while I get a Christian that curses or they want to be cute and they say something. Stop it. It's wrong. God hates it. Don't tell me that's just the way I am. Stop it. Choose another word. It's not only cursing, it's dirty jokes. Or innuendos. Or suggestive sexual content, but you're not really saying anything wrong, but you're suggesting it. And you know what? Here's the funny thing. is that People will say these jokes around you, and you'll go, oh, God, oh, that's bad. <laughs> Thank God you say, oh, that's bad. But isn't it weird how quick you can get sucked back into it? You don't want those things in your life. I stop cursing. I don't tell dirty jokes. And then somebody says a filthy joke, and you, oh, man. Oh, whew, I don't want to hear that. But you laughed. That means we still need work. We, this is when you ask the Holy Spirit to fill you afresh and say, Lord, give me the strength to just turn away from that. Turn my eyes on you. Filthy language, dirty words. You know, there was a story of a pastor going around the church fixing things, and there was a little kid that was following everywhere he went, and, and, and he finally stopped and said, why are you following me around? He goes, well, I just want to see what you say when you hit your thumb. <laughs> people are watching you. When you call yourself a Christian and people know that you're cursing, you're telling dirty jokes, you're, you're blaspheming other people, you're living a lifestyle contrary to being a Christian, it gives Jesus a bad name.
He says in verse 9, Do not lie one to another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Stop lying to one another. And don't give me the white lie thing. It's just a little white lie. White lie, dark lie, lie. Isn't that crazy, though, how quickly we can lie, how quickly something can come out of our mouth? You know what I'm talking Can you guys relate? Is it just me? Can, can you say a big amen just to make me feel better? Amen. Okay, wow. Because I was about ready to resign, thinking it was just me. But isn't it funny, like, people ask you how you're doing or whatever, and you go, oh, great, you're not doing great, you just lied. Oh, well, Pastor, we know what you mean. No, you know what? Basically, bottom line, that's still a lie. How you doing? I'm not doing so good, but better than I deserve. That's truth. Because sometimes, you know, you're not doing so good, and someone says, hi, how you doing? You're like, great, how are you? And they're like, great, and you both lied. <laughs> that's, that, you say that's a small thing, but you know what? That's where it starts. Did you do that? Uh, no. Just... Quick denial, right off the bat, how quickly it flows off the tongue. He says, stop it. Stop lying to one another. You've been renewed in the knowledge according to the image of Him, Jesus, who created. Whether there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Jesus Christ when he saves someone, you are now a child of God. You are no longer Jew or Greek, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave nor free. You're one in Christ. Jesus Christ is not a racist, he's not woke. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, you're just a child of God. That's how he sees you. See, before Jesus did his ministry here on this earth, there was two groups in the world, Gentiles and Jews. After the church was birthed, there was three groups, Jews, Gentiles, and the church. And that's how it is now. So when a Jew or a Gentile gets saved, they're no longer Jew or Gentile. They're no longer bond or free. They're no longer man or woman. God doesn't see them like that. He sees them as one in Christ. Barbarian. What's a barbarian? A barbarian was somebody in those times. Greek was the common world language. And the barbarian was the person that didn't speak Greek. And so they were like, these guys just walk around like, bar, 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 bar. So they call them barbarians. And Scythians are the lowest form of barbarian. So he says when you come to Jesus... You all become one. Okay, so now he's going to tell us some things to put on. We're getting to the good stuff here. It'll be challenging. Look at verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if any of you has a complaint against another, another, even as Christ forgave you, so also must do, you must do. 
But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with the grace in your hearts to the Lord, and whatever you do in word and deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So now we come to this section where he tells us to put on. So we've put off all these other things, sexual immorality, anger and wrath and malice, filthy language, blasphemy. And now he says put on. The first thing he says is to put on tender mercy. God's cleaned you up. You know what? Let me read you something. Zechariah. In Zechariah chapter 3, check this out. Zechariah is telling us that the Lord is before Joshua the high priest. And he says in chapter 3 of Zechariah verse 1, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. That's what happens in our life. We're a child of God. We are under attack. You want to you you find out if the enemy's after you? Try doing something for the Lord. Take a step of faith. Sign up for children's ministry. <laughs> All hell will break loose in your life. You want to go forward for Jesus? Joshua wanted to go forward with Jesus. And what does it say? It says, Satan standing at his right hand to oppose Joshua. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebukes you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. That was you before you came to Jesus Christ. You were standing with filthy garments. And then He, the Lord, answered and spoke to those who stood before Him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from Him. And to Him He said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you in rich robes. And that's what God did to you. That's the good news. Put on Jesus. Put on Jesus. Put on... Tender mercies. Now, King James is bowels of mercy. That's kind of weird, you know, because bowels. But, you know, you really feel things in your gut. You ever heard the term a gut feeling? And pain and sorrow and joy is kind of you feel it in your gut. And he says, have tender mercies towards others. Are, Are you someone who is merciful? Or are you someone that only wants mercy for you, but judgment for somebody else? We are to be Christ-like. Was Christ merciful? Did He have tender mercies? Absolutely. He gave us an example of everything He's asking us to be when you look through His ministry on three and a half years on this earth. Tender mercies, hello. Here was Jesus who worked all day doing ministry and at the end of the day, this huge multitude comes at Him and He has compassion on them. Now, you and me would have said, you know what? I've been working all day long and I've been doing ministry and I don't think anybody here appreciates and here comes this group. I'm not putting up with that. 
That's what I would say. I'm tired. I'm worn out. But Jesus, being tired and worn out, had tender mercies towards them. And the next one's kindness. Are you kind? Are you kind to others? You know, there's some people that, that if they're mentioned, you just immediately go, man, they're so kind and sweet. They are just the sweetest people ever. And then there's other people you're like, ooh, the kind? No. <laughs> Kindness. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, he said, come to me, all you who labor and are of heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's kindness. That's tender mercies. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's kindness and tender mercy. He says, put on humility. Are you humble or you just always brag about you? You ever got those people in your life that are, I call them the one-uppers. Whatever you say, they one-up you. I led someone to the Lord a little bit ago. Oh, yeah, I did five. Boy, we just did this mission trip. Oh, we went on this mission trip. They're one-uppers. No humility. Just always bragging about themselves. God wants us to put on humility. Meekness. What is meekness? Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is power under control. Power under control. Jesus was the perfect example. He was meek. Now, some of you might say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wasn't he flipping tables in the temple? Flipping tables and whipping people? Yeah, he was. But that was power under control. Because he said, you've made my father's house a prayer, a den of thieves. And so he's flipping over tables and he's driving out the money changers, and he gets over to the doves, and he goes, oh, fly away, fly away. <laughs> Flip. That's power under control. Boy, I'm running out of time. Long-suffering. Are you long-tempered or short-tempered? We'll just move on. Verse 13, bearing one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Christians, are there Christians that don't forgive other Christians? Yeah. That may be you. Well, you don't know what they did. Doesn't matter. I know what Jesus did for you. You know, the Bible says that if we don't forgive, neither will our Father in heaven forgive us. What does that mean? It doesn't mean you lose your salvation, but you break relationship with him. You break communication with him. Now you're praying. He's like, I don't hear you. I need you to deal with that thing. We need to forgive one another. And above all things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. The answer is love. Jesus said, you know, we know that Moses came bringing the law. He brought the Ten Commandments because he needed to convince some people that they were sinners. 
because they didn't realize certain things were sins. But the law covers all that. But the law doesn't have grace. The law doesn't have mercy. The law doesn't have forgiveness. So Jesus came bringing grace and truth. Forgiveness. But, you know, for, for, for those that the Ten Commandments were too hard to get around their head, God said, let me narrow it down to two. Love God with everything you got and love your neighbor as yourself. Paul comes along by the power of the Holy Spirit and narrows it down to one thing, love. If you love God and love others, everything else is going to fall into place. And so he says, above all things, put on love. It's the bond of perfection. Does that describe you? Are, are you someone that loves? In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we call it the, the love chapter. There's this portion there that you should read every day. It's, it's chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. It's verse 4. It says, Love suffers long. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. It does not behave itself rudely. It does not seek its own. It's not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. Beareth all things. Believeth all things. Hopeth all things. Endureth all things. Love never fails. You've got to read that every day. But when you read it, what I want you to do is put your name in there for love. And we'll use my name because I'm here. Look at verse 4. Steve suffers long and he's kind. Steve doesn't envy. Steve doesn't parade himself. He's not puffed up. He doesn't not behave rudely. He does not seek his own. He's not provoked, thinks no evil does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Steve never fails. I'm so glad my wife's not at this service. Does that sound like you? But you know, if you put Jesus' name in there, it works. Jesus suffers long and is kind. Jesus does not envy. Jesus does not parade himself. He's not puffed up. Does not behave himself rudely. Does not seek his own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. Beareth all things. Believeth all things. Hopeth all things. Endureth all things. Jesus never fails. But there's still a standard for us to follow, right? Don't you want to get better and better? You know, remember when Philip comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, show us the Father. And Jesus says, Phil, have I not been with you so long? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And I thought to myself, can I do that? I mean, if somebody comes up to me and they're just like really seeking God, they're on fire for the things of God, and they come up to me and they say, Steve, show me Jesus. And I say, Bro, dude, have I not been with you for so long? If you've seen me, you've seen Jesus. I don't feel comfortable saying that. Do you? That means we all recognize right now before God Almighty, we need work. We need to put some effort into changing and being different. I'm not here to judge you or to beat you up. I'm here to encourage you, to pour into you, to help you along because somebody helped me along in my journey with Christ. Iron sharpens iron. We're here to encourage one another. Love is the glue that holds us all together. He says there in verse 15, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you were called in one body and be thankful. When you you come to that fork in the road, 
and you've got to make a decision and God's not really speaking, Lord, do I take this direction or do I go this direction? Let the peace of God rule in your heart. Let the peace of God umpire. Say, okay, if I go this way, Lord, what do you think? Well, I got a peace about going that way. And if you say, but if I go this way, I, man, I feel like it's just something that's not going to be good at all. There's no peace. Let the peace of God guide you and rule in your hearts. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. That means you need to get into the Word of God. You're only going to be able to protect yourself and strengthen yourself by being in the Word of God. Let the Word of God dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing. Study, teach, admonish one another. Admonishing is not always comfortable. But it's when you see somebody that's headed for a train wreck and you don't say anything, God will hold you accountable. Bro, I see the direction you're headed and you're going you're to wipe yourself out. Man, turn to the Lord. Admonishing one another. Be strengthened in the Word of God. Admonish one another in, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through Him, through Jesus. If our eyes are on heaven, we'll have peace. If you don't have peace, it's because you've taken your eyes off of heaven. Let the Holy Spirit guide you. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom. Study the Word of God. Sing songs. with grace in your heart and thanksgiving. He's coming soon. Are you ready? Are you ready to meet your maker? If he came today, what would he find you doing or saying? I'm very convicted over this. Keep your eyes on heaven and not the things on the world. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank You for the Holy Spirit which uh, straightens us out. Lord, help us to be all we can be for You, for Your glory. Help us to submit ourselves to You in true humility and surrender and allow You to use us. If there's someone here today that doesn't know Jesus, um, you can't earn your way to heaven. You have to ask Him into your heart. He died on the cross for you. He gave His life for you to pay for your sins. And now He has a gift sitting right in front of you. And He says, open the gift and live forever. So if that's you today, and you want to know for sure that you're going to heaven and not going to hell, because there's only two places. There's no in-between. There's no purgatory. That's not biblical. And as long as you have breath, you can go to heaven. You can accept Jesus. But if, if you die... And you stand before the true and living God. You say, well, now I'm ready. It's too late. You've got to choose now while you're here on this earth. And so if that's you, and you realize you need Jesus, I'm going to ask you to pray this in your heart. And if you pray this in your heart, I can't pray it for you. You'll be a child of God. So if that's you, pray this right now. Lord, 
forgive me of my sins. I've sinned against you. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you're God, the creator of all things. I believe there's no way to heaven except through you. And so I come humbly, surrendered, and ask you to save me in Jesus' name. If you just prayed that in your heart, you're a child of God. Now go live for him with kindness and joy and love and peace, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness, tender mercies. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless.